we were at first very surprised that anyone would want to do this for us. I was part of the reentry program. Um, after a while, now going to the into the jail teaching the class myself. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know is about how community colleges are leading the way in prison education. I'm not going to say too much at the beginning because my colleague Allison Beer gives a thorough introduction, but this panel had a lot of fantastic information and a couple of truly inspiring individuals. This is part two of a two-part episode. If you missed part one, the panel provides introductions and background information on the prison education program. So, Albert, I want to give you a chance to, to share now. Okay, thank you, Mr. Bryan. One of the things that we all have in common is that we all been to prison. At the age of 11 years old, my mother received the news that my father was found floating in the Colorado River. It created a void in me to where I began to reach and do things to try to fill that void. At the age of 11 years old, I began to sell drugs. At the age of 12, I joined a gang. 13 all the way to 17, I was traveling 59 from Victoria to Houston to pick up kilos of cocaine and selling them in my community. September the 7th, 1991, I decided to discharge a firearm that killed a 21-year-old man that I did not even know. A couple of months later, went to a jury trial, got convicted, and was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 17 years old. Norma spoke of something that is very profound but is very silent, and that is prison has a culture. When I walked into the prison environment, it was a concrete jungle, a lot of fighting, a lot of stabbing, very little motivation for education. It is here that I succumbed to that lifestyle. I went to SEG, I went to closed custody, I went to medium custody, and I've been on minimum custody. And for those who doesn't understand the culture of a prison, SEG is the worst as you can go. To where you can't get a bar of soap, you brush your teeth with tooth powder, you have no commissary, you have no contact visits with your family. Closed custody, same thing. 22 hours a day you spend in your cell, you come out only to shower, and to go to visitation if you're fortunate enough to have supporting members. Minimum custody is less restricted. You have a job, you're able to go to classes, you're able to go to contact visitation. So this is the culture that I was raised up in as a teenager. In 1994, I heard about college. Now I understand you, I gave you the bad that I done. But also, I was a honor roll student in school. I was a standout athlete in school. So I lived this double lifestyle as a teenager because I had no one to help me navigate through the pain and turmoil that I had because my father had passed away. And so the good that I wanted to do, I didn't have nobody to pull me up. And so in 1994, when I was incarcerated, and I heard that they did have college available, I said, you know what? 
there's two ways that you can come out of prison. You can come out bitter or you can come out better. And so I chose to come out better. So I began my journey of college in 1994 at one of the worst prisons in Texas at that time. We had 56 killings in one year at that unit. I was on closed custody, which is next to the worst of the part of prison. I was the only one on closed custody who was going to college at that time. But when the guys began to see that I was able to go to college from closed custody, I noticed that they also began to sign up to go to college as well. And so this journey for me continued all the way up into 2008. Well, I was taking one class here, one class there, one class there, maintaining a 4.0 GPA. And in 2008, I had to do 15 years on a life sentence in order to be eligible for parole. So I knew that I was coming up for parole, and I said, well, let me try to get my degree behind me. So I signed up for college, Alvin Community College, in 2008 and was transferred to another facility. And it was here that I earned my first degree, Associates of Applied Science. I graduated with a 4.0 and cum laude and was commencement speaker at the graduation. I continued to get denied parole five years, three years, two years, two years. Alvin Community College came out with another degree plan, which was business management. And so I told myself that the consistency of me applying myself to education is what's going to show the parole board that I'm not who I used to be. Because there are so many times that when guys come up for parole, they would get in the classes and they would go to the church and they would do all these things. And then as soon as they are denied parole, they stop. And so in order for me to prove that I was a different person, I had to show them consistency. So when Alvin Community College offered the second degree plan, which was an AS degree in management, I said, well, you can continue to deny me, but I'm going to continue to use this time to educate myself. And so what happened is I ended up walking out of prison with two degrees, an Associate's of Applied Science and an Associate's of Liberal Arts. And so now I was released February the 8th of this year. Because I had went to college, 90 days exactly after I was released from college, I landed a job as an auto sales representative, someone who had only sold drugs and gangbang from the age of 11 years old up to the time I was arrested at 17, done 27 years, five months and one day. 90 days later, I'm employed at a company where I earn a salary and commission, have benefits, and are and able to compete. I've been at the job four months, top salesman the two of the four months that I've been there. And it was all because of, not because I was lucky. The college, allowed me the opportunity to invest in myself. And because I invested in myself while I was incarcerated, it gave me the ability to be competitive with the people that have been out in society. And so now when I was able to put on my job resume and go to a job interview, my first job application I've ever filled out in my life, the first job interview that I've ever had, the first resume that I've ever submitted in my life, I landed the job. <laughs> And it's all because of being exposed 
to something different. It allowed me to see that I can either succumb to the prison lifestyle and stay there for the rest of my life, or I can invest in myself and come out better. And if I was to ask by a show of hands, how many of you believe that we should have choices? The majority of the people would raise their hand. But if an inmate, an offender, a convict, whatever title that you put on them, all their life, all they had was oranges placed before them, and they get out of prison, and you're telling them to eat a banana when all they've ever had was oranges, then that's all they're going to select. So it was in prison that I was taught that there's a different type of fruit called a banana, a grape, or orange. And so now I can choose now that I've made a transition from incarceration into society. Thank you, Albert. We're going to come back to, uh, to some of this that, we've, that you, you've talked about. But before we do, I, I want to make sure that we leave those of, uh, trustees with some specific actions that you can take with you. So um, Steve and, and, and Bob, if you can talk about what specific steps you see trustees and presidents taking uh, to either increase educational opportunities uh, for incarcerated individuals, or if you are at a college that doesn't have a prison program, uh, what would you recommend to a trustee to do? Well, I'll take this. Probably uh, some of the most important steps are make your presence and support known to the Department of Corrections. They are the ones, in the state of Washington, the Department of Corrections is who funds this education. It does not, does not come through our tr traditional education funding uh, model. So that's an, an incredibly uh, use, I mean, important step. It's also really important to know that formerly incarcerated individuals tend to experience, um, they don't have the same experiences that most of our students, even our very disadvantaged students have, in that <clears throat> they have had no connection maybe with a high, any institution of higher learning. They, they, have, they have, may have come from generational poverty all kinds of issues and that we as education institutions need to recognize that we need to put forth additional resources. Uh, I know at Tacoma Community College we have um, navigators to help formerly incarcerated persons to work their way through to how do you fill out a FAFSA form. My God, I'm a CPA and I have problems filling out a FAFSA <laughs> form. So. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's very important to give those additional services. We also help provide some help with housing. We have food insecurity issues with, these, with this population. All of these things are things that would hold back these people from being successful, and it makes a tremendous difference. And by doing those things, uh, it's going to make, it's, it's going to be life-changing, life-changing. I think all the things that, uh, that Bob mentioned are things that absolutely need to be done. But a community buy-in uh, is, is absolutely uh, a necessity, not just from a, a higher-up type of community, but from people who are going to provide jobs to the, uh, the people that get out of jail, to make sure that also on your 
campus if you're going to have one or if you have a, a program, make sure it's a priority, that it's not something that's swept under the rug or something that happens to be in a corner of a, of a, a janitor's closet someplace that you say that's your uh, 180 reentry program. Ours is called the 180 reentry. Ours is on our main campus. We have one main campus, a large campus in uh, North Omaha, and we have a building, it's a bunch of old fort buildings, but we have a building that's very prominently located right in the middle of our campus. People know that's the reentry program. People know that you can go in there and get the help that you need. Uh, like you mentioned, the food insecurity. We have a pantry that's supported strictly by the people that go in and out of that reentry program. So it isn't something that, that's, quote, burdening uh, any, any taxpayer or any, any person in society, these people want to help each other. They know that they've been helped. Most of the people that are in our reentry program right now are ex-offenders. They're, they're a part of, the lady who runs it is an ex-offender, and she does a great job, like I said before. But you've got to, in your college, make sure it's a priority. It's not something to be swept under the rug. It's not something to be hidden and say, oh my gosh, we have one of these, but we're not proud of it. We have a man, ours is funded by the state of, of Nebraska's Department of Correctional Services. Uh, probably it's getting worse. We're not going to get our funding. Our funding gets cut for that constantly, at least in the college it does. But we've got, um, we've got some donors. We've got uh, some local foundations that help. And we've got one, uh, without mentioning a name, a, a pretty prominent fellow in Omaha that, uh, no, 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 it isn't, it isn't not, who you may think. One. Not that one. <laughs> Even... He helps the Gates Foundation a lot, but, uh, but this person has donated well over $2 million to our uh, reentry program because he sees the value in what happens when you educate people and when you bring them back out and show them what needs to be done. It's like he said, if you've just been shown oranges all your life, you're going to see oranges, but you're going to need to see bananas, grapes, and everything else that's in the world, too. So... You know, don't, don't hide your program. Make it a, a priority and make it something that works in your community, too. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about um, what's the prison classroom look like? Norma, would you describe what that classroom was like in Albert? Um, yes, yeah, so we had a, a spot where we were able to do our classes in the evenings, and we did our regular programming during the day. So it's, it was really an, important to us that we had tutors there and that we had support um, from as many people as we could. It really should come from the warden down so that um, when people feel that they should stop things that they're not able to. Mm -hmm. So, but we did have a spot and we got some donated computers and we were able to do our work and um, it was just really important to have that support system, to have other people in the circle, because um, we were talking about prison culture, and in the culture there is on the yard, there's negativity on the yard, there's a little chaos on the yard, and that's what people do to almost keep themselves busy. It's like a soap opera. <laughs> so to have something else, you also have to have support and have that group of friends become your support. And with the tutors helping, that is what really makes it a real program. And Albert, what were your classes like with Alvin? The classes with Alvin, 
during the daytime, the prison that I was at, the last unit that I was at, majority of the units that offer college, during the daytime, this is where your GED classes, your vocational classes are normally held. And at nighttime, the professors will come in to the education department at nighttime and also teach the college level classes. But at the last facility I was at, I happened to be the chaplain clerk as well. And so I knew that in the morning times, we didn't have anything going on in the chaplaincy department. So the, at the just a three unit where I was at, that's three more extra rooms that would became available. So between the Alvin Community College and the education department and the warden and the chaplain, they began to open it up in the chapel till now the professors could come in in the morning time and offer three more classes in the morning. So in the education department and in the chaplaincy department was where the majority of our classes are held. And, and the, uh, you had textbooks, you had computers yes, in sir. some cases. So it was like a regular college classroom. Mm -hmm. and, um, well, our professors only came in occasionally mm -hmm. and we did it uh, with video. You did it with video, mm -hmm. great. So, um, Hanara, I want to give you an opportunity. I th I th you saw there was a handout about Skagit Valley College's uh, reentry program. It's one of the one of the reasons why we, uh, we invited you to speak is because your program is one that for those colleges that don't have a prison nearby. And remember, Steve has has said that uh, prisons and jails are very different. Uh, pretty much every county is going to have a jail, but you may not have a prison in every county. And so. Um, in Skagit Valley, there isn't a prison nearby. You have a reentry program, though. Can you describe what that program, um, what that program is, how it works, and your role in it a little bit more? So that program, we um, we go in there to the to the justice center, and we just um, give them a class of, of self-esteem. You know, we sharpen up their their mind, and so they can reassure themselves that they could um, be able to to do it, and we give them confidence. And that's that's what they need confidence in order to to keep on moving forward, whether they're getting out that month or, or going to prison. If they're going to prison, they would they could uh, keep on moving with their education. And if they're getting out, we could help them out. You know, once they get out, there's resources. If you know, if they're homeless, if if they're you know mental health issues, um, even just to to be there for them. And um, my role in it is just to to be like a mentor to them. Once, um, once they give me a call from, from in there, I fill out their paperwork and then I go see them and, and sign them up to the class. But not everybody gets that chance. So sometimes I write to guys that are in there and, and tell them to, to ask you know, for that chance. Great. Okay, we want to be able to give you some time for questions for our panel. Before we do that, um, as some of you may have heard, if you were in the um, uh, earlier uh, discussion about the political uh, state of different bills in Congress, there is building bipartisan support to expand college and prison. In fact, uh, Secretary DeVos recently tweeted and called it a no-brainer. And she has visited a number of, of prison education programs and highlighted uh, the, the administration's support for expanding uh, post-secondary education in, in prisons. Uh, just recently, there was a call for no, more uh, participants, uh, for more colleges to apply to participate in the Second Chance Pell experiment. Senator Alexander has included a uh, removing the ban 
on Pell Grants uh, for incarcerated people in his mini HEA bill, and the House has, has included it in their larger uh, HEA bill. So there is, there is uh, certainly support from both conservatives and liberals uh, around, around this topic. This has been part two of a two-part episode. If you missed part one, we posted it last week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.